Welcome in to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, Bubba, today well, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics, and, and that is Jacksonville State University uh, and the football program. Of course, we all have such history with Jacksonville State University. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the members of the show graduated from Jacksonville State. Uh, of course, um, uh, Greg and I, our dad, the head football coach there for uh, 12 seasons, and we have a, 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 you know, a lot of um, ties to Jacksonville State. Uh, uh, my goodness, Greg still lives in, in the Jacksonville area. You're yep. from the Jacksonville area. Can, yep. I mean, yep. it, just, it just goes on and on. Mom yeah, I grew up in the shadows of the, uh, of the stadium lot. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, of course, we're going to talk about a new era. Uh, in Jacksonville State football on this edition of Rick and Bubba University. The podcast now moving to Division One, and uh, naming Rich Rodriguez as uh, the brand-new coach. We call him Rich Rod. Everybody wants to. And Coach Rich Rod joins us on Rick and Bubba University. Coach, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to talk with you guys. And welcome to Jacksonville State University and, and to Calhoun County, the county that spawned the Rick and Bubba show. <laughs> How about that? Uh, it's uh, I'm so uh, fortunate to be here. Uh, there's a lot of history, great history here, as you guys are well aware, and we're hoping to make some more of our ourselves. Yeah, let's. We have to kind of start uh, on a somber note, uh, remembering Calvin McGee. Uh, you know, you were supposed to be on with us last week, and uh, we got the tragic news uh, that uh, that Coach McGee was being rushed to the hospital and unfortunately um, did not survive, passed away. And I know there's a, a memorial service and funeral coming up this weekend. So just take a minute to uh, reflect on uh, the great coaching career of Calvin McGee. Yeah, Calvin McGee is uh, – uh, I just say – I can describe him in four words. He was the best. Uh, I've known him for 25 years. He's been with me, coaching with me for 22 uh, right by my side every step of the way in, in a lot of my places. And, you know, there's no, you will never find a single person that's worked or played or has been associated with Coach McGee that, that would ever say anything negative about him. He was a great coach, great husband, great father, and a great personal friend. And um, it was so tragic. And his wife, Rose, and his, his kids are being really strong. But, you know, I miss him. I miss him already dearly. He's uh, just very, very special. A person and and uh, I know the service will be hard to get through on Saturday, but it's going to be more of a celebration of who he was. And uh, we've got a great loss, obviously for him. He was going to be my top assistant as he was at other places here at JSU. And I'm not even thinking about what's next in the program. Uh, just want to get through Saturday first. But uh, love Calvin McGee, Coach. Uh, you uh, really burst on the national scene when you were at West Virginia. Uh, you made them a, a powerhouse team, a top five finisher, um, and you were known for your offense. T- tell us a little bit about your offensive uh, thoughts and uh, how, how all that's going to play in at Jacksonville State. Well, it really started back in 1990 at uh, Glenville State. I took over the job, where, and it was probably the best job in America to take over from the standpoint the year before uh, – they were shut out eight times, only scored 20 points the entire year. So we would get a standing ovation for a first <laughs> down. So what are we going to do? Let's try something different. And at the time, you know, the run and shoot was in a little bit in the NFL, but it was all under center. And so we said, well, let's let's go in the shotgun and then let's let's do our own version of the so-called run and shoot. But also let's just go with a fast tempo. Because as a defensive coach, when I first started coaching, the hardest thing to defend was the two-minute drill. You ever watch a game and 
and a team doesn't do nothing until they get their up-tempo offense before the end of the half and end of the game, they go up and down the field, and you're thinking, why don't they do that the whole game? So we're like, we're like what the hell? What do we got to lose? Let's just do that the whole game. And we started that in 1990, and uh, it kind of took off a little bit, but not very many people knew about it because it's NAI Division II. And uh, when I got to Tulane and Clemson, we did the same thing and had some success. That's when the offense kind of took off a little bit, and we've been doing it ever since. You know, you modify it uh, every year. You try to learn every year and get things better. But the, the, the base of it started, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, I, well, I, that was what I was going to ask you about. You know, when you start an offense and, and no one has really seen it or, or they've faced it, um, then defenses really struggle uh, with it. But, you know, there's there's great defensive coaches out there. You said you coached on the defensive side of the ball. So over time they make adjustments, and then you have to make adjustments. So so how, how, how deep into you running this did you realize, all right, now it's time to modify, and what were some of the modifications you made? Well, you do. It's like uh, I always talk about coaches sometimes brag, well, they got 20 years experience or 25 years experience. But if all they did was the same thing every year and didn't learn and grow, you just got one year experience repeated 25 times, right? So right. get a little bit better and learn a little thing. As the games, as we started doing it more in the Division One level, obviously more eyeballs are on it where people are going to use it and do it. And so you got to be able to adjust. And so we tried to do that. Over the years, it used to be 75% pass. And then it became, at West Virginia, it became like 60-70% run. And now it's probably more balanced. And more teams are doing uh, what they call RPOs now. We were doing uh, 15, 20 years ago. But at the same time, we still think, you know, defensive coaches uh, are going to adjust and they're going to adapt. And you got to do the same thing offensively. So we've tried to add some tweaks and, and all that. But some of the things that are non-negotiable is, is how fast we play and how hard our expectation is for our guys to play on all three phases of the game. Coach, uh, get your chalk out a little bit uh, talking about that type of offense. Obviously, the speed is a factor. Uh, You're trying to keep the defense from being able to adjust. But do you have to adjust your formations and your sets to get them confused when you go to the line of scrimmage? And do you? how important is getting – isolation matchups that you want, maybe a fast guy in a slot position that has to be covered by a linebacker? Yeah, I think a lot of the matchups, particularly with all the man coverage that you see nowadays, uh, uh, you'll hear a lot of times in the NFL, it's all about matchups and all that. And so you try to do that formationally. And I think probably one of the simplest things to make yourself look more complicated than what you really are is using a variety of formations, whether you're putting formation to the boundary or unbalanced formations or things that create headaches for the defense and that's the thing we always look at that okay we you know what's that makes it simple for us but, but it makes it more complicated for the guys got to defend it so we're always constantly looking at that formations is one way to do it and again tempo is always a big part of it i still think the most overlooked factor in sports at all levels most sports active sports anyway is is conditioning and we still think it, we can make that a factor even though you know there's uh, timeouts and and injuries and sometimes fake injuries or whatever, <laughs> try to beat down. You know, uh, conditioning still is a big factor in how we practice. Uh, we The way we practice, we think, helps us get in better shape than our opponent. Well, that's the thing I've always talked about. You know, sometimes when fans watch football, it, it's like almost they think one side of the ball isn't in the game, you know, when they're talking about the other side. You know, people talk about the tempo, and they're like, well, it really, really, really tires the defense out. They really get tired. But the offense has got to be in shape enough to actually run the tempo, to your point. 
So if your offense and defense too, but if your offense isn't in in great condition, the tempo also. Speaking from someone who played, you know, with a hand uh, in, in the dirt, uh, especially those guys. Uh, I mean, when you when you don't have the huddle and you don't have time to recoup, they got to be in shape to actually run the tempo. And I think sometimes that's overlooked. Yeah, and, and part of it again is everybody kind of runs in, obviously runs in the summer, does conditioning, does runs during August camp, gets their guys in shape. But how much conditioning do you do during the season? And a lot of coaches are worried about our. Are we doing too much? Are their legs going to be fresh for the game and all that? But I think the way you practice, we don't practice long, but what we do is pretty intense, and uh, and it is up-tempo. And we try to think we're going to get a lot more plays in at a full speed uh, than just about anybody that we play against. And that's, not only does that give our offense in shape because our defense is doing the same practice, they got to be in shape as well. So I think when you get to that point where your guys understand how fast and how hard you play on every play, it becomes a common for them and easier them for them to do it uh, every play on Saturdays. Co- Coach, let me ask you too. A lot of times when you're you're doing a, a fast paced offense, y- you can get on and off the field pretty quick. Don't give your defense enough of a rest. And I know a lot of conversation the last few years since it's become more popular. Uh, how, how do you manage that for the defensive side? Uh, are, are there times where you need to give them a, a more of a rest or, or is that just, Hey, you got to suck it up and go with it. How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, I think obviously you got to think about that. If you're struggling getting a lot of three and outs, I always tell the team we like to get, you know, if we can get a two score lead going in the fourth quarter, then we're going to start milking the clock and, and taking it from there. But I also think you got to try to get a lot of guys ready to play. And that's easier said than done. You know, you, it's hard to put sometimes to put your backups in, but uh, one of the goals that we have is we want to play more players than anybody in the country. That means we got to have more players ready to play at a high level. And that's going to be important for us uh, defensively and offensively, but especially defensively, that we don't play just 12, 13, or 14 guys. we got to get 25 guys or so ready to play uh, during the games, and we make a point of that uh, during practice. All right, so we're going to come back. We're going to continue our conversation. We're talking uh, with Coach Rich Rod. He's now the head football coach at Jacksonville State University. A lot of things changing at Jacksonville State University, including the the move to Division One. We'll, we'll kind of talk about that, and then more. Uh, you know, looking into the life of, of of Coach and and some of the things he's been through. I know some of you. There's a story he is sick and tired of talking about. <laughs> but uh, but if you're doing a podcast, everybody's going to say. So we're going to try to let him in his own words tell you exactly uh, the the legendary story about Alabama and Nick Saban and and what role that coach uh, Richrod played in that and let him tell us exactly what happened as opposed to maybe some of the things you you have been told might have happened we'll actually hear the truth uh, from the the man who was in that situation when we come back on this edition of Rick and Bubba University the podcast all right, we're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Our coach is uh, is Coach Rich Rod, who now is coaching at Jacksonville State. Of course, uh, you, we talked a little bit about your time at West Virginia uh, and, of course, uh, your time in the NAIA and then uh, to Michigan and, and then um, recently at, at Arizona. And now um, at Jacksonville State University after spending some time at Ole Miss and Louisiana Monroe. So Jacksonville State was, you know, Division Two had a lot of success at Division Two. Uh, including national championship, they go to one double A. They work their way to the top of the one double A 
level of football. And I know I'm not using the the modern names, but to me, it'll always be Division <laughs> One, One AA, Two and Three. I yeah, I know we just stay with that, I, coach. I just we don't stay change. with that. I, I mean, I'm 57. <laughs> There's no changing it now. Uh, but anyway, so Jacksonville State has been through transitions, and they seem over time to find their way back to to the top prominence uh, of, of 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 whatever level they're playing you you've been brought in to to coach Jacksonville State with a new endeavor uh, and that's division 1 and then uh, i think next season not the one coming up but the one after a new conference uh and and so what 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 do you when you land on the ground in Jacksonville Alabama with a program that's had success at other divisions what what have you got to do for Jacksonville State to be competitive at, at this next step. Well, you're right. I, I tell everybody we've been successful. JSU has been successful at every level. Won a Division Two, uh, took their time uh, when they moved up and won in Division One AA, and then doing the same thing now. We're not just jumping in to jump in. We're jumping in and building a new facility, uh, making a commitment to have success, getting to a conference that we think uh, is rebranding itself and going to have success as well. So uh, I'm I'm in a place that football is important. And where winning is important, and they've always won here. So it's not a place where you come in and say, well, we're, we're going to try to win for the first time. No. Now, winning at least for the first time at the 1AA level or 1A level, and it costs more money. Let's, let's face it, and the school realizes that to, to compete at the Division 1A level costs more money facility-wise, staffing-wise, and that is a work in progress and something we're, we're, going, we're, we're doing daily. But the school is totally committed. we got a great administration. We've got uh, some very uh, helpful people that, from the donation standpoint, from donors, from people who love our program. And, and I've got a really good staff put together, and I think our players understand it's another step up for us as well. Coach, where do you – what will you be measuring success against? Uh, playing at Division One, uh, The playoffs, that's, uh, you know, that's a lofty goal. Um, but what would you consider or what is your marker for success in the program down the road? First thing you try to do is try to win a league championship. If you're in a league, I think that's probably your first goal is to try to win a league championship. Certainly you want to get in the bowl games every year. If you can't, that's, that's always a goal. And then, yeah, you're right. I mean, to say, okay, we're going to be in a CFP. We're going to play for a national championship. You know, there's, there's a difference between, those that are in the SEC and the Big Ten and the money and the revenue that they spend, can you get to that level? You know, Cincinnati was there last year, and it took them how many years to get there, and they right. were, they're funded at a whole different level than a lot of group of fives are. So I don't I don't like to make unrealistic goals. I like to tell our guys if, if, uh, if we do a great job, win our league, win our bowl game, and uh, if, the, if, the, if they expand and get eight to 12 teams, whatever, we get a chance to play – and we're good enough, but that's good. That's way off, off the thing. I just want to be as good as we can from the start and try to win a league championship first. All right, so it, we'll come back to that, but I know there's no one that's, that's listening to this podcast. They're all going, ask him about the Alabama thing. And, 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 I, and I know that <laughs> you're probably tired of And you're so tired it. of this story. You're so tired of this story. But, but, and I know you've made the joke that Alabama fans should thank you for saving but I want to I want to drill down and once and for all, and you probably told other people, but maybe I missed it. Surely you've you've talked about this. I want you to talk about the process that you and your family went through when when you were, and some of you watching this and listening may not have known this, but uh, because Saban has now been at Alabama for so long, 
but you were in a position where the Alabama job was yours if you wanted it. And uh, and this was uh, this was the transition that Alabama was making that eventually would get them to Saban. So tell us what what really was the thought process for you that said I just don't think at this time I want to this job is right for for me or in this stage of my life this is a no. What what led to the the not taking of that job? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it's been a lot, probably a lot of false uh, yeah. things going on. Uh, it was, you know, it was after Coach Saban had first turned it down, and I really went, didn't have Alabama on the radar. I didn't have anybody on the radar because we were, we were pretty good at West Virginia at the time. In fact, we were uh, had a young team, and we had a lot of guys coming back. We were in the top ten in the country, and and all that. And and I guess Coach Saban had had, uh, had initially said he wasn't coming, and so I met. I was in New York for a Hall of Fame thing that we went to every year to celebrate uh, everybody's going into College Football Hall of Fame. And at that while I was up there, I met with. Now board some of the Alabama officials about their opening. This is after Coach Saban had initially said no. And we had a great meeting. They showed me some plans for facility and all that. And it was a good conversation. And I was interested because it's Alabama, right? Sure. Uh, when I went home, I did not ever tell them I was, I was taking a job. I tell them I would talk about, talk about it, would be interested. I wanted to talk to the folks of West Virginia first before I gave them any, any answer one way or another. And uh, when I got back to West Virginia, we were getting ready to play in the Gator Bowl, and I had a function down in Jacksonville, and I talked to some of our donors or friends from West Virginia. And during that press conference and the couple hours after that, they came together and came up with a package for our program, for our staff that enticed me to stay in West Virginia. So I, I just decided to stay. I never told them that I was – Anybody at Alabama, I was coming and all that, but obviously you got to be interested because it's Alabama, right? Right. So uh, there were rumors that my wife said she didn't want to live in Alabama. That was false. There was rumors that I had taken the job and then decided not to take it afterwards. That was false. I just was interested because it was Alabama. But at the time, we were in a pretty good spot at West Virginia, and the donor stepped up and and all that. As fate would have it, you know, the following year I did leave, and one of the reasons I left then to go to Michigan was some of the things that the donors gave to the school didn't follow through with. In other words, they were using the money for, for purposes that wasn't supposed to be. And so that kind of, that wasn't the only reason why, but that was one reason why I was like, geez, I want to win a national championship. And I got people donating to our program. And we went through this before and, and I didn't know if I could trust everything that was happening at West Virginia at the time to keep going with it. So I made a move and, you know, uh, Obviously, you can look back and uh, the, look back with regret, whatever. Uh, this, should I take an Alabama job? I didn't think twice about it because we were so good at West Virginia at the time. But as I told everybody, it worked out great for Alabama because they came back around with Coach Saban and uh, they got the greatest college football coach of all time. Yeah, I think – I really do. I remember following this. I did not know that Saban had turned it down. I forgot about that. But but I wouldn't – and that's important to remember, but – but it's almost like when you decided not to take it, they were like, well, by golly, uh, I mean, we, we, we got to get a football coach. The fans were getting angry. And I think that you you, you did a service to Alabama and Coach Saban because then they said, we're going to do whatever we got to do to get him to take it. You probably got him a little more money. Kevin. I think he owes you. <laughs> coach up and say, hey, what, what about that deal? But, you know, they at, at, at Alabama's history, you know, and having gone through the state recruiting-wise and being here now, you understand how important football is when you're here. And I could sense that. I mean, anybody that 
follows college football where you're at. Now, geez, that's Alabama. That's why I wasn't going to talk to anybody uh, about any job at the time, but it's Alabama, right? And so at the, I'm in New York. I'm like, geez, I got an opportunity to sit and talk to them about their job. You'd be crazy not to, uh, no matter where you're at. But it didn't work out uh, at the time uh, or didn't have, you know, it was the time it wasn't perfect for me. But it worked out great for Alabama since then. Well, and I think a lot of people forget because now they've been good for so long. And when I say this, somebody's going to say, "What is he talking about?" He, Rick's lost his mind. Alabama really—they were struggling. They—they they, the program had kind of fallen off. Uh, if you don't believe that, just go back and look at Saban's first year when he first got there. Uh, so it, don't don't picture that Alabama was sitting where they are now. They had been there in the past, but it had fallen off a little bit. And uh, so the job, um, you know, it, it didn't quite look the way it would look if you went there, say, say now either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but obviously it was the right fit for Alabama and the right fit for Saban, and uh, and it worked out. But I'm glad you dispelled some of the rumors. So it also wasn't because you actually turned on some of the sports radio in Alabama, and 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 your family said we want no part of this. <laughs> Oh, the Rick and Bubba show, was that going on back then? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was. We were we were in the early early years, but, uh, yeah, definitely going on. Coach, uh, NIL has been in the news a lot lately. Uh, what does that look like at a smaller and now new Division One school, yeah. and, and how is that playing into the Gamecocks and your plan for taking that program to the next level? You mean now it's legal? <laughs> yes, now yes, I- yeah. That's what we hear. <laughs> Yeah, that it's everything has changed in college football in the last uh, 12 months or, or a year and a half. Not only that, you basically, the coaches will tell you, you basically have an unlimited salary cap and open free agency. It's a different dynamic to, to think that it's not that way. It is that way. Uh, even going by the rules and as coaches, you got to try to adapt a little bit. You know, I would tell our staff here, the goalposts have moved and we got to move with it. It's not as much a factor at, at the group of five level. We don't have that kind of uh, resources out there that are um, that are going to be able to give our players that much money. I'd love to. Uh, I like the chance, of the, the opportunity for players to earn some money. But I said it all along that, you know, it wasn't a really bad deal that the guys, the players, anyone. They gave them a cost of attendance and uh, be able to feed them uh, without having the money come out of their checks and all that. It wasn't a bad gig. Uh, but – you know, the genie's out of the bottle. You know, your, your players are going to get paid now. So what do we got to do to fix some of this uh, unequities, whatever you want to call it, where some schools are basically, I don't want to say pay for play, but some guys, are, they're, they're basically having a professional model without professional rules. And you got to have rules and guidelines to be able to have fair play, right? And, uh, you know, the haves are going to be the haves and the have-nots are going to be have-nots. You're just going to separate even more now. But I think now, I think one of the things you got to have is you're going to have to have contracts. Players got to have contracts. Or, you know, it's, it's crazy that, you know, if a player wants to come to me, if a player wants to come, you want to give him a four-year or three-year contract, scholarship, what have you, and he wants to leave after three months, well, then he's got to pay out his contract. Because part of the reason was people said, well, coaches can get up and leave. Uh, at their own free will. I know I did that, but I had to honor my contract and pay what was on my contract. So the players got to do the same thing. And I think that uh, uh, once once we get a little bit of structure on this deal, uh, it'll make some more sense of it. But right now it's a mess, and everybody knows it's a mess, and we got to get some guardrails or some guidelines to fix it. 
Coach, uh, let me ask you about Jacksonville State in particular. Um, growing up watching football there, I went to a lot of games that the stadium was absolutely packed because we had some really good rivalries and people love to get behind rivalries. The move to, to 1AA, we lost some of that. Um, you, you, you see that in the stands. You see that in the passion for who we're playing because you didn't have a history with them. Um, what is the chance of seeing some of those rivalries renewed, most notably Troy, which was uh, the Troy and Jack State rivalry was kind of like Auburn, Alabama at the Division II level. Um, schools like that or some of the other uh, regional schools that are here in the state that Jack State fans would love a chance to see in the stadium. Yeah, that that's right. I mean, there's some natural rivalries, as you mentioned, but Troy moved up, and then obviously UAB started in South Alabama. We have some three right in state that we could be rivals with. Are we going to beat Alabama and Auburn? No, we're not there. Um, but at Troy, we should be able to compete with Troy. We should be able to compete with UAB. We should be able to compete with South Alabama. And those would be great things. Sanford, yeah. You know, it'd been nice to be in the Sun Belt, but we had to get into a conference and conference USA needed teams. And so that's where it worked out. Now we want to get a home and home or something like that in the future. That'll probably be a pretty good game and be interesting for our fans. So we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, I think, uh, to me, I think there's going to be a seismic shift in division one football. I think the power fives may try to separate or the power fives and group of fives will separate from the NCAA and have a have a own its own governing body and it's heading that way. It probably needs to head that way. And that'll change everybody's scheduling, I think, coming up in a few years. All right, we'll come out, we'll continue our conversation with Rich Rod when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, so a lot of times, Bubba, we, we deal with this even on the show, people talking about, well, you know, I, I got to have this product, but I can't find a co- all the companies that are inside this category. They're all, they're, they're far to the left. I don't agree with how they do things. I, I've got the month of June coming up. There's going to be things going on there that I don't agree with. I don't want to be part of, but I got nowhere else to go because I don't have any other choices. Well, when it comes to your cellular service, that's that's different because you actually have a choice, and that's patriotmobile.com slash Bubba. Now, what that means is you get the same nationwide coverage because you and I have been talking about this for years. You're not going to get anybody to come along and be with your product out of guilt. It needs to be through merit. So you're not going to be downgrading. Uh, but this is America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. The same nationwide coverage as the major carriers, so you get the same great service. Plus, peace of mind that your money uh, you know, is, uh, is actually going to a company that seems to share uh, the same uh, values and worldview that you might. It, it, it's your choice. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget. They're a 100% U.S.-based customer support team. We've been talking about that on the show. Uh, exceptional customer service. Uh, and you can go right now, and if you're a veteran or a first responder, uh, we have even uh, a, a better deal for you. So you get free activation with the offer code RICKBUBBA. Uh, and as I said, there's even more for veterans and first responders. So uh, look, we can. Um, you do have a choice, and you have great service with a company that shares your values. PatriotMobile.com/slash/RickBubba or call nine seven two Patriot. So we're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Rich Rodriguez is with us, the coach at Jacksonville State University. And Bubba, we were talking about as we we took a quick break there about you know developing some rivalries. Right, we right. got a new opportunity and a new conference coming up, Division One 
now, and, and what do we do to bring fans back to Burgess Snow Stadium? Coach, I wanted to ask you, too, uh, because th- this is questions I'm being asked, and I don't know what to tell people. Um, when Jack State's sitting there as a 1AA or bowl, what is it, championship? I, I can't, I'm like you, just Rick, do I can't like remember. Just do the 1AA. Yeah. Uh, they, they would schedule a Division One team every year and get paid a big paycheck to play them and, you know, every now and then upset some of these folks. I know they upset Ole Miss a few years ago. Uh, carried, Had Auburn on the ropes. Carried Auburn to overtime and then defeated Florida State down in Tallahassee last year. Do those kind of matchups go away now that you're Division One? Will people uh, not pay you that amount, or how, how does that how does that work now that you're a Division One school? Actually, going to be easier for us to schedule that because there, I think there were had some hesitation probably to schedule a one double A, so to speak. I used to say the same thing, one double A, and now that we're going to be one A, it's going to be a little bit easier for those teams to justify their fans. Hey, we needed a bring a home game in, we can schedule another 118 from the group of five. That's where we'll be at. In fact, I think next year we have South Carolina. We have a few uh, other schools we'll talk about in the future. So we'll play one every year, we think, from here going forward. And so our opportunities to play them will be increased. Do we want to play a bunch of them every year? No, but playing one every year for money uh, sounds like a pretty good deal for us. So will the Florida State matchup continue, or does uh, South Carolina take their place next year? Well, South Carolina is just a one-year deal. And then uh, uh, I like to look at, you know, you want to kind of keep it regionally. Right. So you don't country a little bit, but you also want something that will be interesting for your fans. And so uh, every year we're going to work on getting a – we'll probably have one every year, a 1A, a Power 5 1A team on our schedule. So that will be fun for our fans. It won't be here at our place. It will be at their place, and we'll get a nice paycheck for it. Yeah, and like I say, there's a history with Jacksonville State, and this is what I was concerned about. Sometimes you you've been on both ends of this. Uh, you know, you look at a team, you go, "There's nothing we have to gain by scheduling that bunch." <laughs> I, I mean, they're they're a handful. If they beat us, you know, it's it's a huge deal for them. Every then it's bad for us if we beat them. All everybody says is, "Well, yeah, you should have beat them." Uh, so when yeah. you, when you're when you're one double A. Hey, that's what we want to do. Get good enough they don't want to schedule. Right. <laughs> well, well, you know, back when you were saying about the good thing about being Division One, when you're one double A, you have a harder time because even if they beat you, uh, you saw this in 2004 right. with with the Auburn team that went undefeated. Remember, they had a cancellation, picked up a one double A school, they won, but they got punished for it when it got down to who was going to be in the championship right. game. Right. So yeah, the one double A I would think would be more difficult than just than being a smaller one A. Yeah, no, there's no question. And our scheduling is all, and I think the pandemic year probably taught a lot of a lot of uh, coaches and ads that you don't have to schedule games ten years in advance, eight years in advance. You can make matchups uh, in the next couple, two, three years, and so that's what we're all going through right now. And again, I think there's going to be a seismic shift in a lot of things in the next uh, you know eight to twelve months, and and that'll probably make it I don't say easier for all of us to schedule our games, but it'll be unique. And I think everything's on the table. And you guys probably discussed it, whether it's expanding the playoffs or keeping the playoffs and separating group of five and power five or, or what have you. But there's there's a lot of options on the table right now uh, for college football. Yeah, and see, I, I, Bub, we're playoff people. Where are you on that, Coach? Are you are you are you pro expanding the playoff? Well, yeah, selfishly, I would be now. You know, <laughs> you know expand it to twelve. 
Uh, I, I teased my coaches. I said, we should just be like the Ivies, just play 10 games and then call it a wrap. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if we played a 12 or 16, 10 playoff, it would, it would minimize the bowls, which are already getting minimized somewhat in my, my opinion, the bowls are great. So I hate to, to do that. Eight, eight sounds like a good number and there's money involved. I think, I mean, selfishly, if we went to eight teams and the revenue increased and the revenue sharing would increase and we get a bigger piece of the pie at Jack State, then, hey, let's have, have more in the playoffs. But I think the SEC and, and the Power Fives would probably not want to expand it, keep more of the money and keep more of the spots for themselves. I just That's my opinion, but, you know, they, 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 you know, that could change. Coach, uh, I was curious, too, uh, when you recruit and you go in and sit down with some of these young men and try to talk them into coming to Jacksonville and playing for you, some of them may be recruited by Auburn or Alabama. Uh, a lot of them, I, I would assume, are being recruited by UAB, South Alabama, Troy. Uh, wh- what do you tell them? What kind of sales pitch do you put on them to try to close the deal? Yeah, you're right, and there's a dynamic now that uh, if you if you find a guy uh, from out of high school that, that maybe now people don't know about and develop and he winds up being a great player for you. He might leave and, and uh, go to a bigger school, get more money, get more prestige, prestige, whatever, to go to a bigger school. So you put all the work in and then the other team, the, higher, the bigger schools get more benefits. And, and so that's a concern. But I still think you got to recruit high school, especially high schools in your state, in your area. So we, we are doing that. We signed 17 high school guys this year. And I thought we'd only go half high school, half portal guys. So they're out there. And what we're trying to sell is, listen, we're, you're, you're going to have a new facility, uh, an area that loves football and football is important too. We're in a, we're in a new league and uh, it's a great opportunity to showcase your ability on a national stage in a place that loves football. And so, and it's a great town too. I mean, you guys know this, you know, what a, what a wonderful little town we are in Jacksonville, Alabama. So we got a lot of things to sell. Uh, we still got to look at the transfer guys simply because that'll help uh, get you some immediate help. But high school football in this state is really, really important. And there's a lot of good high school players, and we're certainly going to recruit them. Well, and you go back to what Bubba was talking about, you know, putting, uh, you know, and, and we're not, I mean, Jacksonville still got a lot of people coming to the games, but we want to get back to the, you know, when, when the stadium, you know, was full. And, and one of the things that I think helped with that is, and you don't just go take a player just because of where he plays and where he's from. That's not going to help the program. But you you keep the same standard. But like you said, if you can find that player that can play at this level that comes from high schools in the state, um, you know that also brings more interest from fans and from the community that says, oh, yeah, I remember this kid. He played for so-and-so. I want to yeah. see how he's doing. I want to go see him now play for the – for the you know our college team, aunts and uncles, yeah. cousins yeah. can come watch. You, you start right. getting everybody now. Again, you you still got to have the same level. It's not a charity recruit, but but it, but to, to kind of have that in mind really helps. Yeah, now they also have a sense of pride playing for their local school. Yeah, that, uh, understand how important football is, and the, and it, it is it is big for them to to, to uh, represent their local high school, or represent their in-state high school here. And so you find that. I, I, I like to think that no matter where you're from, once you're here, you're going to play as hard as you can, you know, for your school, for your family, for yourself. But if you're a local guy, you're going to have a little, probably a little bit more sense of pride in, uh, in uh, for the local high schools and local, uh, you know, your local fans that come out to watch you. So there is, there always is going to be that. And we keep that in mind. And plus you didn't worry about them getting homesick and, 
you know, it used to be guys wanted to transfer because they wanted to come back closer to home. Uh, we hope that, like in a transfer portal, the first thing we look at, are they from Alabama? Are they from uh, an hour and a half or two hours away from here? Well, it's Alabama or Georgia. And uh, so we use that, oh, come back home kind of appeal right. to, to draw, draw some transfers to come here to Jacksonville State. All right, we'll come back. We'll finish our conversation today with uh, with Rich Rod. When Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, so we're we're visiting with the the, the new coach at Jacksonville State University. And boy, if you listen to this show, you've heard about Jacksonville State. Yes, right? you have. Yeah, yes, and you have, we got Rick. a great, great, great history there. Uh, so I want to ask you that question, Coach. You have been at the highest levels. You have been uh, at some incredible schools. So at this point in your coaching career. What drew you to take the job at Jacksonville State University? Well, um, I've been asked that a couple of times, and first off, I, uh, you know, it's I'm fortunate that they uh, they gave me an opportunity to interview and, and look at this job because football is important here. Uh, they're making the transition and putting the money in and doing all the right things to, to move up to Division One A. Uh, they have great history, as you all know, not good history, great history with their football program and their athletics program. So. It was just the perfect timing for me. You know, I've kind of been around. I, I told some other folks, I've kind of been around there, did the, did this, did that. And, you know, I don't need to take a job to get take another job. You know, I've, I've, I've been very fortunate and blessed in my career to, to now I can just go and find, let's, let's go take a job. I still feel have a little itch, feel a little uh, chip on my shoulder, what have you, to prove myself again. And, and I wanted to do it at a place where, where uh, football is important. It's a great place to uh you know to coach at and this was a perfect fit and and uh, i feel fortunate that they get, give me a shot and we want to win i'm not looking i said i'm not looking to win here and, and do something else i want to want to try to win as many games and some championships as i can at jacksonville state then we'll see what happens i'm i'm at that age now i'm not over the hill but i'm <laughs> on the so uh, i'm very blessed to, to have an opportunity to maybe uh, get this program launched on the 1a level and I can draw from uh, some of your all's experience, the experience they've had here. And I use that all the time. I said, you know, they, they, when they won here, they were tough. They were hard-nosed. Football was important. They had great coaches. Uh, there was a lot of pride in Jacksonville State and Jacksonville State football. And we're drawing on that for our current players as we speak. Coach, uh, I, I want to clarify, will you play in the new conference this year or is that next year? Next year, we're kind of in transition right now. We're playing mostly a one double way schedule. We got Tulsa with the one eighteen, but basically a one double way schedule. And then next year, year twenty three is our first year in Conference USA. Okay, yeah, and that's uh, and and, and I that, thought you'd said that, Rick. I wanted to be sure, yeah, though, because yeah. I, I get asked that a lot. It's yeah, me too. A little and confusion and transition. We talked about that at the golf tournament, and you had kind of said that but i want to be sure that had that had that still had that right so this is that year where really we'll be kind of nomadic and we're just taking on all comers <laughs> and uh you know and and, and trying to get this program headed in in the right direction and and you know what one of the things you were that you were talking about you know that is a legitimate concern when you're a smaller school and and you have someone like you that's been at the highest level and you took that on, well, he's going to come here and we're not going to be able to hang on to him. He's trying to transition to the next thing. And and I hear you saying, look, I, I've been there, done that. You know, this is, this is a different phase of my life too. Uh, you're a football coach who likes to coach and, and it's kind of an exciting, um, 
prospect that's in front of you. I mean, you're, you're getting to say, I know where we've been, but I know where this program wants to go. And what an honor to be able to be someone who's going to try to take them there. Yeah. And I, I didn't rent. I bought a house <laughs> here in town, about a mile and a half from campus. So, uh, um, we're settled in and, and doing, put our, we're, we're putting our roots in here. And as I said, this is an easy, I'm, I'm from a small town anyway, in West Virginia, you know, we're all actually coach Shaven, coach Fisher and myself are all from the same little area. And there's some, don't ask me any questions about that deal, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's very. This reminds me very much from where I'm from and where my family's from, and so this is a great fit. I'm just like I said, I just I feel very fortunate and, and appreciative of the opportunity I have. Yeah, I, w- I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday. We we were friends from second grade on, Mickey Shadricks, and uh, he he has the the big time. A place down there in Oxford, the big entertainment thing, and uh, he said that uh, he's he got to meet you, and that's a great place to take recruits and go down and and uh, and let them have a big day. Yeah, it's uh, and we got a lot of like I said, we have there's a lot of things in place. You guys are well uh, well aware, well aware of what we already have in place here. And now moving to Division One A, I always tell Greg or AD Greg Sight today, hey, just costs a little bit more to go first class, right? Well, costs was probably. A little more than a little more. Uh, there's involved in that, but you know, our school has made that commitment. Uh, our staff has made that commitment, and I think our players have. I've got a great group of young men. I'm I'm really excited about coaching. Yeah, I was going to ask you when you look at the guys that are there right now. I mean, I know you're out recruiting. Um, you know, they didn't exactly leave the cupboard dry, did they? No, you know, the only the only thing I say the only thing is. I sometimes I got to remember these guys were recruited at the one double A level and we are moving up. And so sometimes I look and say, gosh, I wish we were a little faster, a little bit bigger. Well, no, for the level they were at, they're good players. Uh, what we're obviously moving up. And so we've got to, I told our staff, we've got to recruit at a higher level. We got to get our guys developed that we are have right now because we have some one A players and we've got to get them to help to, to get increase their game as well. But we do have some really good football players and, uh, I think they've they've bought in, and I'm excited to work with them. Yeah. What What do you think? We got about three minutes. So to go to one A, what what does what is the the big step, the big difference? I know one double A has some outstanding players. Is it just there's not as many? You know, at one A, every single player is is one A level. One double A, some are, some aren't. Is that the biggest transition? You're looking at it from a bird's eye view. Looking at it, you know there there are some, but you're not probably don't have the same size. Obviously, you're not probably as fast. You know, on, on certain positions, the fast on the up front on defensive line, fast on offense on the perimeter. So you're probably not quite as fast all across the board. And you're certainly not as big as you would be on a, on a one eighteen. But again, that's our job to recruit to that. And we've you know counting walk ons and transfers and guys, we've got about fifty new players coming in. And so we're, we've got about half of the roster is going to be new uh, starting our fall camp. But the half that we got coming back are some pretty good players too. So we're, we just got to get to work and, and have a great summer. Well, Coach, I know there's a lot of excitement uh, about landing you as a coach, and, and hopefully that will spill over into recruiting and, and all the other aspects, fundraising. And uh, I, I think Jack State has a bright future, and, and being an alumni, we're excited about it. Yeah, we are. Well, and I appreciate you guys too. I know you're alumni, and you, you spoke very highly of the of JSU and and have uh, part of their great history. So I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Let's do it again. 
All right, I got one thing. Just doing a little little football, just X's and O's. Are, defensively, are you are you multiple? What do you what do you do defensively? <laughs> Pretty much, uh, Zach Alley, our defensive coordinator, is a young guy. Worked with at Monroe, very very sharp. I've got a great defensive staff, and he's pretty multiple nowadays. You got to play yeah. a lot of multiple things because of spread offenses, and and we'll be more nickel oriented, probably more five DBs than four DBs. But up front, we're gonna we're gonna be a multitude of both an odd front and an even front, and and uh, bring a lot of pressure. You know, I want to be very aggressive. And we hope, as I said earlier, we hope to be able to play 24, 25 guys every game defensively, if not more. Yeah, like you said, that that's one thing that was the reputation of, of this program is hard-nosed and, and not afraid to hit you So uh, and play very, very aggressive on defense too. So uh, Yeah, that, and hard is not an option. And our guys, <laughs> uh, I think they got a message through the spring that nothing, if nothing else, fundamentally and all that, we got to help them develop but playing hard is not playing as hard as you can is not an option and our guys will do that yeah i used to say that doesn't require any expertise or talent everybody can play hard so coach when is the first game when you will actually take the field we open up week zero against Stephen f austin down in the crampton bowl in montgomery alabama that's actually going to be on national tv espn not the espn plus or two or three or whatever it's on regular espn on uh july uh, or excuse me, August twenty seventh. So picked we, a nice, at, you picked a nice, easy opponent to start with. <laughs> Here we go. Very good one double A team. So we're gonna. It's gonna be uh, gonna be a lot of fun. And we open because we open up week zero. We start practice a week earlier uh, in the late July. So we're, we're we're gonna get ready for that. Thanks, Coach. We appreciate you being with us. And, and, and best of luck. Yeah, and we look forward to being part of it. And thanks to all of you for catching this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Mm-hmm.